Okay, so I know. I know what time of the semester it is. Tests, papers, labs, all that stuff. So uh, I know you're tired. And um, so I want to offer myself as a tutor for all of you. Um, no. Um, Anyway, on a more uh, serious note, uh, this uh, fall retreat that we're doing, uh, it's something that we do every year, and um, it's just a, it's a great way to get away from um, the regular routine, I guess, of, of uh, your campus life, and, um, and go to Camp Vesper Point, it's a beautiful camp up on a lake about 45 minutes from here, and uh, usually we just have beautiful weather, so it's a great chance to just get together. And it's, the crowd's a lot smaller, and it's a great opportunity to meet some people and, and uh, just relax. Um, and we're going to do something a little bit different this year. Um, if any of you are interested in, um, in being baptized, um, I, would you come and talk to me after Tuesday night tonight in the back where we usually have prayer, in that back little foyer right there where... Uh, Hain uh, is usually if you if you remember him from last week, so uh, I'd love to uh, love to talk to you about that if uh, if any of you are interested in that. Um, so, um, but uh, tonight uh, we're continuing this series on the Ten Commandments, and if you remember, if you were here last week, I, I'm just going to kind of jump right into it. If you're here last week, uh, we did something a little bit backwards. We talked about how the, the commandment where God says, you shall not make for yourself any carved images. And then we talked about the why of that first, for he said that I, he is a jealous God. And we talked a lot about what jealousy looks like in our lives, but what instead what divine jealousy is like. And then it, you might remember we also talked about what is that, that difficult passage that talks about him visiting iniquity, but then showing love to a thousand generations. So we talked about the why, and we, we, we've been talking about these commandments are, are really the, the, kind of the what, the why, and the how of worship. Well, we're going to back up now, and, and let me just, let me, Max, if we can put up that Exodus passage just to kind of refresh your memory a little bit. Um, uh, and I'll just begin at, the, at, at Exodus 21. It says, uh, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then this, these first set of words that he says is, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or is in the water beneath the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we're going to be looking at this deal about the, the carved image and what's that, what that's about. Now, I'm going to admit something, that this is going to be probably a hard one for us to get a handle on because we do not live in a country necessarily like a lot of countries do where the predominant religion is one of... Uh, of man-made shrines or temples with gods that have visible images. We do not live in a country necessarily where we drive down the street 
and we see a representation of the God that is worshipped in that town. But that is not true for, for a, a large number of people in this world. So we kind of have to get our minds around this, this idea that, that maybe, maybe there's something more to this. What, what, what was God saying? Why was this important for him to tell his people and for this word to be received by us that, that, that we should not make a carved image? We should not take something uh, and, and worship and serve it. Something that is made by human hands should not be worshipped and served. Why was that so important to God to let his people know that? Now, to do that, I think that we actually need to go to another passage of Scripture. And and I'm going to set this up a little bit. This comes from the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years later. Uh, Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before Jesus walked on this earth. And Isaiah is known as one of the prophets that, that really um, uh, speaks a lot about the coming of the Messiah King. Uh, if, you, if you go to church around Christmas time, uh, many of the prophecies that speak of the birth of the Messiah come from the prophet Isaiah. He's by far one of my favorite prophets to read. And this passage from Isaiah chapter 44 really talks about the ridiculousness of this, this idea of idol making. And so we're going to look at that. We're, we're going to just go ahead and jump to, to Isaiah chapter 44. And, and Isaiah is, is, is speaking. You know, the Lord is speaking through, through, uh, through Isaiah here. And he's saying the, the blacksmith. Okay? And, and again, we have to kind of, we don't live in a world where, where we, we ride around on horses and there's blacksmiths forging horseshoes out of, a, you know, but just, you've seen movies, you, you get what this is about, right? The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers and he forges it with the might of his arm. But then he gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. I'm going to stop right there for a second. I want you to picture with me that, that, that what Isaiah is going to do, he's going to compare two images of idol makers out of metal and out of wood. And the blacksmith is, is the one that, that, that works mightily to forge this metal by his own strength into something that he will then worship. Now, what does this have to do with us? Well, I think that, that um, this we could identify in our own lives and maybe even call it the blacksmith syndrome. And what I mean is this. How many of you have ever worked for something so hard? I mean, you have set a goal. You have made vows to yourself. You've made vows to other people. And it, and it could be getting a grade in a class or a comment from a professor, a certain recommendation, a certain job, a certain guy, a certain girl. And you work for this thing with all your might. And how many of you, when you have received it, find yourself incredibly empty? Maybe that's just me. But I have done that so many times. I have thought that a word, a grade, an award, a job, a relationship would fulfill everything. And if I could just get it 
right, if I could work harder and, and faster and if I could get stronger, if I could do better, then everything would be fulfilled for me. So maybe I'm alone in this, but, but I know that, that when I have done that and then I actually get that thing that I thought I wanted and find that it's empty, that's one of the most disappointing things. And one thing I know about you all as, as, as college students is that this is not an uncommon thing for you all. For you to work at something, you, it, it says that, that he gets hungry and loses his strength. It's, this guy is working so hard he forgets to eat. He forgets that he, he has needs. He's working so hard at this thing that he forgets the basic rules of life. Doesn't drink any water. How many of you have kind of falsely said to yourself, if I work this hard and don't sleep and if I don't eat and I don't drink, everybody will see how hard I'm working. God will see how hard I'm working for this thing and surely then he will reward me. There's a ridiculousness to that kind of thinking. For us to ignore these basic things that we need and I know, by the way, that, that one of the fun things about college is kind of pushing yourself to the limits. <laughs> exactly how long can you wait before you start that paper? Exactly how many days can you go without showering before somebody says something? <laughs> how long can your dishes stay in there before grow, mold begins to grow? I know that that's part of it. But let me just tell you that some of your roommates will testify to the fact that you are ignoring some basic rules of hygiene and, and common sense. So I get it. I know that going without sleep, going without food, you know, just pushing on this thing and being so strong, but learn the lesson of the blacksmith. That what you may be doing is forging an idol that will not fulfill you at all. Let's move on to the next one. This is the carpenter. And it says that the carpenter measures with a line, makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it into the form of a man, a man in all his glory so that it may dwell in a shrine. This is the image of a carpenter who's taking a block of wood and shaping it into the form of a god so that he might worship it. But then listen to what it says, that, he, that he, he cuts down cedars, perhaps a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and rain, rain made it grow. And then it's, it's man's fuel for burning, that this wood was given to, to, to man by God to, to fulfill some basic needs. Some of it he takes and warms himself and he kindles a fire and breaks, bakes bread. But then he also, with the same wood, fashions a God and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. And he bows down to it and worships. And he prays to it and says, Save me. You are my god. And I'm going to stop there. See, the carpenter syndrome is different than the blacksmith syndrome. The carpenter takes something that has been given to him, this wood, and he does meet some of his needs with it. 
In other words, he takes something that is good, but then distorts it into worship. And more perhaps than the blacksmith, this is the thing that I see that many of you struggle with. There are so many good things in your life. So many good things, so many blessings, so many opportunities for you. So many things that are presented before you. Friendships, relationships, work opportunities, service opportunities, ministry involvement things. You can see all these good things in your life. But it becomes harder and harder for you to discern what to say no to. And sometimes what you end up doing with some of these things that are indeed good and given to you as a gift and instead begin to actually worship them. Let me give you a a couple of examples. Um, I think an obvious one is a relationship. God said in the garden, it's not good for man to be alone. He created us to be in relationship. But how many of us have pushed so hard on your friends? You expect them to fill a need that only God himself can fill. How many of you push so hard on your boyfriend or on your girlfriend, you expect them to to meet this ache in your heart? Now, I'm not standing up here and saying that these relationships, these things are bad. They're actually good. But that we have this tendency in our lives to take things that are indeed good and twist and distort them into something that they were never meant to be. This is going to be one that, um, as I was talking with somebody over lunch yesterday about this, that I know is going to sound like the old guy um, who's up here knocking something, okay? So let me just get that out of the way, okay? I get that. All right. I want you to think about your cell phone for a second, okay? Some of you might not remember this, but I do. Do you remember when cell phones first came out? Okay. <laughs> Before this, there were pay phones and rotary dial things and, and car phones that were this big. Anyway, um, do you remember when cell phones first came out and what some of the ad campaigns were? They were things like join in, get connected. The purpose of the cell phone was what? All the advertising and marketing was to do one thing. It was to say, hey, connect with each other. You don't ever want to be disconnected from your friends. And the cell phone was meant to be a tool for you to stay connected. I'll tell you the very first time that I got a cell phone. This is going to totally sound like a pastor thing, but I was on the golf course, okay, (laughs) playing in a a pastor's golf tournament. And my wife was, was, uh, I know this gets better and better, Um, and my wife was pregnant. And I did not have a cell phone. I know some of you are going to be like, whoa, was that like 1960s? No, okay. But I didn't have a cell phone, but my friend did. And his phone rings and says, David, you better take this. And I pick up the cell phone, and my wife's going into labor. I say to myself, good time to go get a cell phone, okay? Turns out that it was false labor, and she got later. But you can bet that that week I went and got a cell phone. Cell phones in and of themselves are good things, 
as our mic stands. Um, but how many of us have lost sight of that thing? How many of us have ever uttered, oh, I would die without my phone? How many of us would say, oh, I don't know what to do without my phone? How many of you are with your friend walking together and talking each of you to somebody else on your phone? Okay. Now, am I saying that you've turned your cell phone into an idol or a god? I'll just leave it alone for a second. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that do you see that we have this tendency to take things that actually might be good but distort them beyond what they were supposed to do? So much so that when at the instant you walk out of class, you flip open your phone, you see who's called, you see how many messages, and you text everything. Is that bad? Am I the old guy up here going, oh, culture sucks? No. But think about it for a moment. Just think about it for a second. What was that intended to do? How many of you walk by your friends and never say hi because you're on your phone? Another one, Facebook. I'm, I'm knocking them all out tonight. <laughs> Facebook. What was it originally designed to do? Connect people, right? Find your friends. You always wanted to figure out, and some of you guys I know do this. You stalk girls on, on it all the time. But you, you, you're trying to find your friends. Now, this is going to be shorter. How many, how many times do you get on Facebook really with the intent, I want to see what my best friend is doing? You don't do that anymore, do you? You want to see who's messaged you, who's invited you to something, right? It's lost what it was originally meant to do, right? Do you see how we do this? John Calvin, famous theologian, says, we are idol-making factories. We have this, we can't almost help it. We take things that are good and we twist them around until they are in a place that is not what it was meant to be. This is different than carving an image out of wood, but it's the same thing. This is what God, I think, was trying to say for years. It isn't just about crafting an idol and putting it in a shrine and worshiping it. It's about what are those things that you have taken that was good and distorted for your own purposes. So much so that you give God the, the scraps of your leftover time and energy and you pour everything else into whatever that thing is, expecting it to be more than it, than it could be. Now, one of the things that I, that I realized as I was wrestling with this passage, and this was not an easy one for me to just talk about, is that I think that what idol-making does in its essence is that it limits God. It limits God. What is it? God, wasn't, God is the, the creator of the universe. He does not like to be contained in a little package. And whatever idol we have in our lives, that's what we do. It's like we have a hard time imagining something so big and powerful and present in our lives that we want to reduce it to something manageable that we control. 
So think about that for a moment in your life. What is that thing that originally was meant to be big and wonderful, majestic and beautiful, and you have limited it to something that you can manage and control? That's what idol making is at its essence. What Isaiah goes on to say is that no one stops to think about any of this. No one has the knowledge or understanding. The hard part about idol making is that none of us in this room, none of us in this room are predisposed to go, oh, I did it again. I made an idol out of that. We don't do it. All of these things that I just mentioned that might have stirred up other things, I bet that 98% of you, <laughs> I'm not pulling that, I'm pulling that statistic out of nowhere, but let's just say 98%, okay? A bunch of you went like this. Well, that thing pops in my head, but that's not an idol. That's not an idol. I don't worship that, right? Can I confess something to you? I'll tell you what I think some of mine are. I'll tell you that that one of the things, that because this is what I do for a living, the admiration of a group of people is an idol for me. Very easily, there have been so many times that I will walk off of this stage or another church and I'm longing for someone to come up and say, that was the most remarkable message I have ever heard that has changed my life. One, that almost never happens, but two... Even when it comes out of their mouth, I'll tell you something, it never is fulfilling. Never. You know why? Because I wanted someone else to say it. And then the next week, I want it to happen again. So I don't know what it is for you. But what is that thing that you are so desperately longing to hear or have in your life that you can hold on to and manage and say, look at this, look at what I have done? Because that just might very well be your idol. And recognize that you might need some help in figuring that out. Because as the scripture says, no one stops to think about this. I've said this before in this stage. When Jesus says to repent, it means to think about the way you think. Stop and think. What are those things in my life that I'm working so hard for but leave me empty? What are those things that that are made to be good but I have twisted them into something that's bad? Let me go back to something because I have a tendency, I recognize from having spoken to college students for a while that sometimes this is what some of you might walk away with and I want to stop it. I don't want any of you to walk away tonight and go, I think that guy was saying that cell phones are evil and Facebook is evil. I'm going to do it. Get rid of Facebook. Relationships are evil. No, I did not say that. What I'm asking you to do is to think about your life. What is that thing, those things that you are longing so desperately for someone to say to you, to do for you, What is that thing that you can't live without? That person you can't live without? And then think about whether you have turned that into something more than it was intended to be. 
you're going to need some help. So I pray that as you go to bed tonight, that you would ask God, what is this thing in my life? Would you show me, Lord? What have I turned into a lie? Max, can we put up the last part of that scripture? It says that, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? What is it that is a lie in your life? Ask God to reveal that to you. Ask your roommates. For those of you that just joined a core group, ask your core group in the weeks to come. As you share your story and you begin to to be honest and vulnerable about the things that you struggle with, ask them this question if you have the courage. Ask them, when I talked about that thing, did it sound like a lie to you? And I pray that if you hear that question, if you are a roommate, a friend, a core group member, whatever you are in that person's life, would you speak the truth? Because the hard part about this idol-making thing is that we don't see it. None of us do. Sometimes until somebody points it out to us and says, yeah, you have turned that thing into a lie. You have turned that thing into an idol. And so as you go to bed tonight, hear these words from the end of this chapter. Remember these things, O Jacob. You are my servant, O Israel. I have made you. You are my servant, O Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I have bought you back, he says. And if you are wondering whether you are holding on to something that is a lie, hear also the words of Jesus, that you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together. (coughs) Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are excellent at making idols. Would you forgive us for not having the eyes to see, the ears to hear the truth? And may we ask this question, each of us tonight, what is that thing that we have crafted in our lives that has taken a place that it was never meant to take? And Lord, would you step in in mighty and powerful ways, and may we receive you with open arms. Whatever this is, Lord, reveal it to us. Reveal it to us, and may we have the courage to turn back to you, the God who has redeemed us and saved us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.